It's the JT The Brick Show. They get the snap ball. Hand off Jacobs. Has the first down of the big hole. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Raiders. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Raiders bring a blitz. He is smothered and brought down. Max Crosby came around for the sack. Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Snap to car in the shotgun. Back to pass. Climbs the pocket. Eyes downfield. Fires a strike to Devontae at the 25. Breaks away 20. 15, 10, 5. Dives. Touchdown, Raiders. And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. My final hour of the week. This is a seven-day work week, Bobby, and no one cares. We work Sunday. We work Sunday all day. I did the Mad Dog Show Sunday night, 8 to 11. Then we work Monday. We're here Friday. If you call this work, we got Saturday tomorrow with the Raiders. Then Sunday, I'm back on Mad Dog. So we are in the cycle here of football season, which we don't mind. The dead zone is the summer when there's not much going on. No football, nothing. This is just the opposite. So we love a seven-day work week here, and we love Modelo. In about an hour, see, I was at home today. We had a little bit of a technical issue. Uh, Someone told me early in my career, don't ever talk about technical issues. No one cares about your technical issues. So I raced in here. We knocked out this first hour. We got another hour here in front of us. Some good conversation coming up. Uh, My bizball, Maury. Maury Brown's going to join us next. I went off on Skip Bayless this week hard because of his tweet when Hamlin was down getting CPR. Might have been dead and Skip Bayless was tweeting. He tweeted me back and said, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about that idiot. So we're going to have him on coming up in about 20 minutes and then more on the Golden Knight game that I went to last night. But there is breaking news today, everybody. First, I want you to hear from Ian Rappaport from NFL Network. There are a lot of moving parts that could fit into Las Vegas in multiple ways. The game tomorrow and then maybe a neutral site AFC championship game here. Yeah, it got the votes not a uh, not unanimous, nor do we expect it to be unanimous. The Bengals are mad. They are really mad, and look, there's a lot going on here. It's been an emotional week. There's been so much of the focus has been not on football, but as far as just the football part of it, what the Bengals feel, guys, is not just they should go by the rules, although that obviously is what it is, but they feel unfairly penalized. They are a division champion. They won the AFC North. There is a possibility that they lose to the Baltimore Ravens twice and still win the AFC North, which has happened before. It has happened. Teams have lost to an opponent twice and still won the division. Uh, But they feel like they win. They should just win. You get the good, which is seeding and possible home games. You get the not good, which is a tougher schedule for next year, a a draft spot that is higher than maybe you would want. There's some good. There's some bad. They feel like they only got the bad because they didn't guarantee a home game. So they are not happy. And there's some others that aren't happy as well. But... As Roger Goodell said, there are no perfect solutions, and this is what the NFL has chosen. Yeah, and I agree with everything. It's not perfect. Cincinnati's not happy. There could be a neutral site AFC championship game if it's Buffalo and Kansas City. I think the neutral site is Indy because you look at where Kansas City is in Buffalo. Neutral would be Indy, and I'd want that game in a dome, and that's why I think it could help Vegas. Let's assume they play. It's going to be Kansas City and Buffalo, but I don't want to assume that the Raiders are going to lose. If the Raiders win... If the Raiders win and knock out Kansas City, Kansas City has to play week one. They'll play at home. They won't get the bye week. Buffalo will. But still, Buffalo and Kansas City could meet in Las Vegas for the AFC championship game. I would, If I was a betting man and I'm not, the neutral site would not be Las Vegas, which is far from Buffalo. The neutral site would be Indy. 
And I think you have to play it in a dome. If you're going to be real neutral, you can't put it in Pittsburgh. Every Buffalo fan is going to drive to Pittsburgh. Every Buffalo fan will drive to Pittsburgh. You can't put it in Cleveland. Every Buffalo fan will drive to Cleveland. So where can you put it? You're not going to put it in Florida. You could, but you could. You could put it in Miami. You can put it in Miami. You put it in Las Vegas. But then that means Buffalo's got to go real west. Kansas City, it's not next door. That would be neutral, but it'd be a dome. And that's why I like the dome. I like the dome scenario there. So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't care. I care about the Raiders getting to the playoffs. I care about the Raiders beating Kansas City. But if there's a chance, as Chris Matthews said last hour, well, we have different, and Indianapolis Indianapolis does have a lot of, they have a lot of hotel rooms because they get the Super Bowl and the Final Four there. So they have the place to do it, but it's not Vegas. So if you're thinking, and one of the greatest weekends out here, AFC, NFC Championship weekends, you get two games. For years, my buddy and I, my buddies and I, we play golf in the morning, and then we have the back-to-back games. It's incredible. It's really fun. But we'll see how that plays out. Uh, DeMar Hamlin, the breathing tube was removed. He did a FaceTime with the team, which is great. So he's coming out of this. I don't know what that means. I don't know if he'll ever play football again. I don't know what's happening. It seems like he's moving his hands and toes. He's speaking, and that's a miracle considering what happened on Monday. On Monday, there was a really good chance he died on that field. That, that's what the week looked like on Monday. And then if he died in that game, thank God he didn't, I think all the games would have been canceled this weekend. I think they would have canceled the NFL schedule. They just would have moved everything back a week. It would have been too traumatic. And now that he's coming out of that, they're going to play games, but they're not going to make up the Bills and Bengals. And that's why Ian Rappaport said the Bengals aren't happy with this deal because the Bengals were going to beat Buffalo that night. They were the better team that night. They were up 7-3. They were driving. And Buffalo didn't look like they were getting off to a good start. Who knows what would have happened? So the breaking news today, in the wake of the cancellation of the Bills-Bengals game, the scenarios, scenario, not the scenario, here are the scenarios based on what happens coming up here Saturday and Sunday. If Buffalo and Kansas City both win, the Bills and Chiefs play at a neutral site in the championship game. That doesn't mean they're going to get to the championship game, right? But it's that this is the scenario they put up. If Buffalo and Kansas City lose, okay, there's still an opportunity that we'll be talking about. Buffalo will have the bye week because they beat Kansas City this year. And that game, again, could be played neutral side. And then, depending on what happens with Cincinnati-Baltimore on their location for the wild card, if they play each other in the wild card, because they're playing this weekend, if they happen to match up in the wild card, they're going to flip a coin because Cincinnati plays one less game than Baltimore because they canceled the Bills game. They'll flip a coin when it comes to the location of that game. Everybody got it? Not the end of the world. This is the ultimate statement, ultimate statement about stay in your lane and don't complain. And I think most of sports radio is going to get that. Sports radio is now a lot about debating and topics and who's debating this and that and who wants to take the other side on purpose. No, there's nothing to do here. On this situation, everybody calm down, everybody relax, and follow what the commissioner says. This is why they have a commissioner who makes all this money, $40 million a year, because he's got to make some tough decisions that people are upset about. And when people are upset about it, the commissioner gets the heat. The commissioner gets the heat, and that's why he gets paid all that money. Just like politicians who don't make a lot of money, but they all seem to retire with millions, right? They make tough decisions, not really compared to the commissioner. And that's where we stand here. So back to the game. Right, you start, if you didn't hear my conversation with the head coach, the head coach at the end said that this is the best fan base he's ever coached for. 
he didn't say that's scripted. He didn't come to me before it and put us in the chair and mic us up, and he didn't say, hey, JT, at the end, set me up. He said that at the end of the interview, and I thought that was pretty cool from his point in time. He was never welcomed here. I take that personally. I do, and a lot of fans are sitting there screaming at the radio and yelling at me now, and I don't care because you can know where to find me. I'm live, and I'm in person. You can find me. I, I'm not saying that this is the greatest head coach of all time. He didn't make the playoffs. The other coach did. But the issue is he's trying to make it work. He sat down with me every week. He answered every question that was reasonable. And you know, I think at this point in time, they got a lot of cleaning up to do. We all know what they have to do going forward. The other big topic this week, other than what happened to Denard Hamlin, was that Derek Carr has been deactivated. So we all know that Derek Carr is pretty much coming to an end here. Derek Carr is coming to an end. And how do we all feel about that? We had a good idea this week. There are a lot of Derek Carr fans. Kansas City game is going to be there this Saturday. I'm sure we're going to see a lot of Carr jerseys. Be a lot of Carr jerseys and a lot of Carr fans there. His brother spoke up and defended him. Devontae told us this week. You know, Devontae told us this week that you know he plans on being back because other people were speculating that wouldn't be the case. And the coach and the GM are going to have to figure out who's going to be the next quarterback. So Jared Stidham has a really good chance to secure an invitation to be the starting quarterback next year if he plays well in this game. And there should be pressure on him in this game. Let me tell you why. If you want to decide on him being the quarterback of this team long term, that means he's going to have to lead the the Raiders to the playoffs and win playoff games. How much pressure is that? Enormous, correct? Well, handle this pressure against Kansas City. This is not some tryout where if he fails, everybody goes, oh, you're the quarterback next year. The upside for Jared Stidham is if he plays a brilliant game and Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler look at each other and say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. We got Tom Brady on speed dial. We got Jimmy Garoppolo on speed dial. Jared just had two games, 500 yards total offense, should have beat the Niners and beat Kansas City. We got to look at this differently. Or the other hand is you look at all of your options, and the options are the college quarterbacks who are really good because the Raiders will have a high draft pick, Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Aaron Rodgers. And that makes for some good radio in the offseason. If Jared Stidham plays well, you think I'm going to forget about Tom Brady? You think I'm going to come in here on Monday and say Brady's off the table? You're nuts. So that'll be an offseason conversation. I will tell you this. If you can't win and win a playoff game with a $40 million quarterback, as in Derek Carr, who I think the world of as a person, you can't spend $40 million on a position, any position going forward per year, and not win more playoff games. Does that make sense? You cannot put $40 million or $45 million into the quarterback position the way this cap is set up going forward and not think you have a chance to win the Super Bowl. And I think that this new regime here, as they look at this, probably didn't think they could win a Super Bowl possibly with Derek at that price. So they're either going to get a cheaper price on a rookie quarterback with tremendous upside or a lesser price. Jimmy Garoppolo won't cost $40 million. Tom Brady won't cost $40 million. He shouldn't if he comes here. The, the brand of Tom Brady is worth $50 million a year. But him at the very end of his career, 45 going on 46, is not worth that. So the money is going to be really important. As we take a look at the Raider roster, the deconstruction of this roster, if Chandler Jones and Perryman were healthy, they'd be playing in this game. Now that they're not playing, you're going to see more guys play, which I like about this. 
I, I don't know an answer to Nate Hobbs. I had a, a gentleman ask me at the hockey game. I was talking to him in the concourse in between periods. We were talking Raiders, and he said, would you bring back Nate Hobbs and rock your sin? I said, well, that's a really good question. I think Nate Hobbs is a building block here. I don't love the way Nate played the last couple of weeks. I do not. And Rocky Sin's been hurt a lot, and I wasn't thrilled with his performance. He didn't play anywhere near the level of Casey Hayward, who played here last year and went with Gus Bradley. And he's not a great corner to begin with. He's good. He's not great. So I think the Raiders are in the market for two corners if they keep Hobbs, which they should, at this price being a you know, slot corner. You know, one of those nickelback slot corners that if you're in an emergency, have to put him out on the outside. He's pretty good. But I went into this season, and I talked about it with Vinny Bonsignor, I went into this season thinking Nate Hobbs could be a shut-down number one corner. I don't feel that way now after watching him the last couple of weeks with a bit of an asterisk because he got injured, and I don't know if he's still injured. I don't know if he's playing banged up or not. I don't know. Trayvon Merrig is a big one for me. He's a good player. He's not great. He needs to be much better. He'd be better have a big offseason here because he's a center fielder. Uh, this isn't baseball where you can line up at the warning track and catch pop-ups playing center field. This is football. You got to read on the ball. This is a big test for Merrick. Huge. Because Jonathan Abram failed in this rivalry. Jonathan Abram was god-awful against Kansas City. Jonathan Abram, who's a great guy in this community, once a Raider, always a Raider, was shipped out of here, shipped out of Green Bay because he can't handle a game like this because he doesn't know how to cover. I know Harmon, Duran Harmon can cover. He played for the Patriots. He's had interceptions. He's got, you know, he's a Super Bowl champion. He can play. So this rivalry game is really important to me. I'd like to see one of the Raider linebackers drill Kelsey to the point where Kelsey knows someone hit him. Just looks around and goes, whoa, who was that? <laughs> who did I run into? Oh, it's Masterson, it's this one, it's that one. Let's hit this guy. Let's hit this guy and make him know that you're in the building. And then it comes down to Mahomes. And Mahomes is a brilliant player. I think that Justin Herbert is elite. I know that Patrick Mahomes is elite. And Russell Wilson was really elite before he went to Denver. How'd that happen? We could be sitting here tonight if Russell Wilson just played decent, saying there's three elite quarterbacks in the division out of maybe six to seven elite quarterbacks in the entire league. Three of them are right in front of us. And you wonder why we're having a Brady conversation? We got Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, and Herbert. Herbert's as good as anybody when he's playing well. So the Raiders are going to have to find a way to match up with those quarterbacks, and we haven't been able to do that against the Kansas City Chiefs. And Kansas City now all of a sudden has to have this game. There's a lot of drama about this number one seed. They're playing for the bye week. I think that Buffalo can lose to New England even at home just because New England didn't have the week that Buffalo had. Buffalo had a really rough week, right, everybody? What happened on Monday night? New England didn't have that. New England brought in some counselors and talked about what happened with Hamlin because it affected the whole league. But at this point in time, you got to give New England a better chance to win in Buffalo than you would have two weeks ago. They're a live dog in this game. A live dog is New England. Plus, they got Bill Belichick. So that game's going to be fascinating. So if Kansas City wins on Saturday... They're going to be the one seed if we see the loss by Buffalo to New England. Uh, a lot of people around the country want Kansas City to win and Buffalo to win because they want this chaos theory of a neutral side AFC championship game. You, ever, you all know what the biggest story of the entire playoff is in the Super Bowl. 
everyone begging for a neutral side AFC championship because that's going to bring more eyeballs and more intensity and maybe even more money to what this is going to look like overall. And I don't want to see that. I want to see Kansas City lose to the Raiders. I want to see Kansas City lose the bye week. And I want to see Kansas City lose at home. Because I don't want the Kansas City Chiefs to get the three Super Bowls. The Raiders have three. And I like that behind it. For everyone says, we had a caller earlier that says, well, Kansas City's on the rivalry. Not if you walk by the Lombardi room and see the three Lombardis for the Raiders. They played in five. Uh, Kansas City's got two. And Kansas City are like the Warriors. They could have had four. Man, they were really good. They're still pretty good. So I like watching Kansas City lose, and I hope that happens not only Saturday, but at some point in the postseason. Also coming up, Maury Brown will join us from Forbes. Always a good conversation with Maury. And then a couple of goals and highlights. We'll talk about what happened at the Vegas Golden Knight game last night, as I really enjoyed that. I want to thank my buddy Spike. And I went with Elizabeth Jones, the widow. She's 80 years old, the widow of Deacon Jones. And what a beautiful, nice woman. I've known her for 20 years. And they gave my wife and I a call and said, hey, we'd like to take you to the game. And we went last night, and we went to the game and had just a fantastic night out on the Strip. Beautiful night out here on the Strip. Uh, The weather's looking a little bit better, which is nice coming into it. The tailgating tomorrow will be all around the stadium. I'll be in J-Lot. Both my sons are coming. Their last game of the year. I'm excited because my sons are leaving Sunday to go back to college. So my last father's Sunday with them both. Uh, They'll be with me to tailgate and be at the torch and sit in the seats as I roam around. So we're going to have a good time there, and I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to love a Raider victory over Kansas City, but that's going to take a lot. Raise your hand and beep your horn if you got the Raiders on the money line to win outright. Raise your hand hand and beep your horn louder if you have the Raiders to cover the spread. Big, big, Big opportunity to gamble on this Raider game if you're a gambler. Raiders could really have something to say. As we're brought to you by Grimaldi's, the best pizza I ever had. Snap to Carr, back to pass, trying to find Adams near sideline, caught it! Tiptoes inbounds at the Chiefs 39-yard line and out of bounds. Now, we are inside of two minutes, so all reviews would come from upstairs, and that's exactly what they're going to do. After review, it is an incomplete pass. It'll be fourth down. JT, welcome back as we continue here on a Friday. Man, the weather's wild, gloomy, getting better, hopefully. As we get ready for a Saturday game coming up with the Kansas City Chiefs. Thanks for listening to Raider Nation Radio. And we really appreciate in the new year you're listening on the mobile app. We see those numbers. We see those streaming numbers. It's big for us. It's a really big number. And thank you from all over the country. Whenever you're listening or calling, I'm really excited about that as we go into the new year. Uh, Before I get to Maury Brown from Forbes, always a good conversation with him. I want to jump in here and start off by talking about the Hall of Fame. They just went from the semifinals to the 15 finalists of the Hall of Fame. And Eric Allen didn't make it. As I introduce him every week from the torch, I introduce him as the six-time Pro Bowler and the semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, hoping he'd become a finalist. And he missed out again this year. And Eric is a great friend and a brilliant player, and he knows that all you love him out there. Everybody, he has so much time for everybody. He's on so many platforms here with us. He's fantastic. So I tweeted out 
the other day. Congratulations to Rondé Barber. He's a finalist now. 47 interceptions. Albert Lewis, 42 interceptions. And Darrell Revis, who's one of the greats of all time, 29 interceptions for becoming finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Eric Allen, who missed out, has 54 interceptions. So when you think of what Eric did, and I talked to Dave Ziegler about it too, he said, wow, 54 interceptions. That's tremendous by Eric. So keep pulling for Eric Allen. We're going to get him in at some point, and he deserves it. He played with Jerome Brown, Reggie White, Seth Joyner for Buddy Ryan uh, in New Orleans for Ditka, and then came to the Raiders. His last ever game was the tuck rule game and played really well for the Raiders too. So he's had a hell of a career, and I just wanted to mention that. Uh, For those who did make the cut, offensive tackle Joe Thomas went to the Pro Bowl 10 times in his entire career. He's a lock to get in. You know, he never played in a playoff game. Played all, all 11 seasons with the Browns. Never made it to the playoffs, let alone winning a Lombardi trophy. But wow, what a career he had. He had too many quarterbacks to name, too many bad quarterbacks, and he's a lock for the Hall of Fame. That tells you how great of a player he is. And I mentioned Darrell Rivas. I think he's a first ballot. Uh, Rivas was a hell of a corner, man. Hell of a corner for the way he was able to play. And then a lot of the other names that I'm looking at here quickly, you know, there's some great ones. You know, among the first-timers, Colts, the Colts great Dwight Freeney, who was a seven-time Pro Bowler. He was a great player. And then a bunch of receivers that are really good. Oh, also on the defensive side, the rest of the list, Jared Allen. Tackle Willie Anderson of Cincinnati. Devin Hester. I think Devin Hester's a Hall of Famer. Not only is a wide receiver, but uh, clearly the greatest returner of his era. Wide receiver Torrey Holt. You can't leave him out because Isaac Bruce is in. Kurt Warner's in. And Marshall Falk's in. And he was part of that team, so he deserves to get in. Andre Johnson, what a beast he was in Houston. Man, a nasty, nasty, over-the-top, big receiver. A lot of similarities to Devontae Adams in size and strength. Linebacker Zach Thomas, a lot of people think he's been waiting too long. Demarcus Ware, the defensive end. I think Reggie Wayne's going to make it in this class. Linebacker Patrick Willis, and one of the only players not to make it from the dynasty team of the Dallas Cowboys in the 90s, Darren Woodson, who's back on that list again. But I wanted to use this time to mention Eric Allen, who we'll all see tomorrow at the torch, and the fact that Eric... I hope he's getting closer and closer, man. I really do. I think Eric Allen should widely be considered. I consider him a Hall of Famer. And those numbers, 54 interceptions, speak for themselves. Now, Maury Brown, my conversation with Maury Brown's important. I wanted you to hear this because Maury works for Forbes. He's in business and he's into sports. He covers baseball mostly and football. And Maury reached out to me because he heard me and saw me. He listens to the show, a show I do at night on Sirius XM. And he saw my tweets as uncharacteristically this week on the radio. I went after Skip Bayless almost every day this week because of his tweet. And the tweet that got me so enraged was the fact that as a young man, 24 years old, was lying on the field. Lying on the field and could have died. Skip Bayless was tweeting about him and the potential for that game to start up again. And when I saw that in real time, it bothered me. It really did. DeMar Hamlin... All of his teammates were surrounding him, and he was fighting for his life. Now, to to Skip's credit, he might not have realized at that time that they were performing CPR on him, but too bad. He was the idiot who decided to tweet, 
while he was down on the ground. He wasn't gone in the ambulance. He wasn't at the hospital. Skip was tweeting while that young man was down on the ground. And that enraged me and a lot of other people, including Maury, who was listening to my show at the time. So to reset this again in this topic, which was a really ugly topic this week that everybody was talking about. And what, what do you learn from this? You learn that you don't want to tweet. You don't want to tweet when someone's on the ground hurt. You want to sit back and wait till something happens. And he's on Undisputed Skip, and his tweet from last night with Hamlin and his bogus, gutless apology and that fake show he did the next day without Shannon Sharp because Shannon wouldn't come in. The original tweet, this is when we saw Hamlin on the ground. He was getting CPR at the exact time. Remember, the CPR went on for nine minutes. And this tweet came in that window, and Skip said, no doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of the game, but how? This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome. Dot, 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 which suddenly seems so irrelevant. Well, that was nice at the end when he said suddenly seems so irrelevant. But let's look at the body of the tweet. No doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of the game, but how? So right there, guy's getting CPR. He could be dead or dying. And Skip says, but how? Then Skip writes, this late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome. He tweeted that. Those are the exact words. He's talking about the magnitude of, of the game, of this game, that game he was tweeting about. That's when Skip left the reservation. This is unforgivable. And then he had a chance the next day to clean it up. And then he did the show by himself, and he was a train wreck because he can't host by himself. He was just falling, flailing sideways. He was so bad. And then Shannon comes in the next day, and Shannon tries to speak. And he doesn't even let Shannon speak and finish his monologue. So all that happened for Skip Bayless, who had a terrible week. The best thing that happened to Skip Bayless this week was the fact that DeMar Hamlin seems to be recovering and getting better by the minute, which is a good thing. So Maury Brown, who's a fantastic friend and a really good guest, uh, saw this, and he agreed with me. He couldn't believe that Skip was doing this. He's a senior contributor to Forbes and joins us. And Maury, the Skip Bayless tweet, when it happened, the timing of it drove me crazy And I wanted to talk to you about the timing and the business of tweeting and bad tweets when something like this happens. Well, I mean, look, I think the saddest thing about it is if you look around, I mean, even if you took the NFL, right, and you said, well, maybe, you know, possibly what they said um, may not have been taken completely at face value, right? But but let's just say that they were. Um, ESPN, everybody that witnessed what happened, thought about nothing more than, you know, the health of the player. And we watched somebody die on the field. That became apparently obvious about, you know, 15 minutes into the situation when we got word that CPR is going on. So, you know, anybody out there with a pole should be sitting there worrying about the, you know, the health and the well-being of this individual. It's not a player. It's not some, you know, random product. It's a person. And so I thought that what Bayless did was to minimize that and talk about, you know, go to what's going to happen with the schedule. And I think that that's the last thing that should have been on anybody's mind. They'll figure that out. They dealt with it before, and that is the least concern. The biggest concern is the health and well-being of the individual, of the player, you know, of their family. 
And so, yeah, a lot of people were mad. I was one of them, and I still am about it. I, I just found it completely inappropriate. Yeah, and Maury, what got me is we were saying this because we were live when it was going on, and we got a little bit of a heads up, I think, before most broadcasts because we were able to listen to the other ones live in queue that the CPR was going on. So even before people at home, even before – it was interesting, wasn't it, to see Adam Schefter, who had nothing, Ian Rappaport. None of the guys had anything because they weren't supposed to have anything. CPR was being conducted. Imagine that. And a guy like Skip Bayless wanting to tweet about what the potential of the game was going on. The only excuse I can get for anybody is that at that time they didn't realize CPR was going on. But when that ambulance was sitting there on that 50-yard line for 8, 9, 10 minutes, even the dumbest people in the world were able to figure out that this was much more serious than a stinger. Well, JT, the thing that, that struck me about this, right, was it was different in every shape and form. Before even the word of, of CPR had happened, you saw how the players basically surrounded him and made sure that the cameras couldn't get in there while it was going on. You could see the distress. And when they went to studio at ESPN and the entire everybody sitting at that table, all three of them were, were absolutely in shock. You knew something wasn't right. I mean, they kept going to commercial break. That should have been a big red flag. It didn't take anybody to know at that point that something different and something, you know, consequential was going on. I mean, even if they didn't say it, you knew something was up. So I don't know. You know, I don't know if Skip was just watching it on social media. I seriously doubt the Skip Bayless didn't have the television on and didn't see what was going on. Um, I quite frankly think that Skip did what Skip does. Um, he's designed think, to be a bit of a shocker, and, and that's what he went for. And you cover the business side of sports, and that's what I wanted to ask you. When are there going to be repercussions for the failures on social media by high-profile individuals? I'm not a cancel uh, culture guy. You know, we've been talking to each other on the radio for a while. Now you got some of the anti-vaxxer lunatics and other people. Look, whatever you think about COVID, a lot's evolved, a lot's changed. They got cable news guys now not respecting the fact that this kid's in intensive care and they're running that in slightly with their agenda. Then we got someone like Bayless being reckless and then having a chance to apologize and being less sincere than he was the night before. And on the business side, you know how much these guys make and and what they're doing here. And they continue to stir the pot and there's no repercussions, none that I can see. Well, the situation with Skip is going to be that he gave himself a minor out on that right at the tail end of it, and then came back much later, which I'm uh, absolutely certain that the boss has got to him. And I said, Skip, you've got to yes. say something out there. The ability to get out of stuff contractually has to be pretty significant. It really does. And as egregious of what Skip did, um, should he have been fired if there have been other reasons for it? I think that that was grounds for it. Um, their legal department may say it's quite otherwise. From a pure business perspective, um, this was one of those things to where I don't think the shock value or just skip me and skip and thinking about the game um, did any favors for FS1 and his program. And this wasn't one of those things. This isn't like Tucker Carson or something else very foxy, you know, news related or something, you know, that would drive a group of individuals whatever their political alignment is, or MSNBC for that matter, whether it was somebody there, the left or the right. This was not going to drive anything positive to his direction. 
So I think that it's very bad for it'll it'll be bad for for Fox. Now what to do is they'll go. It's going to blow over. The kid's going to be okay, right? Or whatever the thing is, you know, you pray that the kid comes out okay. But I mean, if you're Hamlin's family and you saw something like that, or the teammates, I, I don't know how. I, I just, I really don't know how um, anybody but the lunatic French doesn't sit there and go, "Oh, that's okay." I mean, everybody else saw it for what it was, and um, I, I think again, I think that. Um, management got to skip and said, you're going to have to say something to try and um, do something about this. And then he went on the air. Um, it looked very, um, I, I, it didn't oh, it look, awful. He, he came tried it to come pathetic. across as emotional and I didn't see it. I saw something. It was else. fake. It, it, it was probably the worst acting that he's ever yeah. done in his career. It was, I just, I was just so amazed that Shannon Sharp didn't come in and do the show on purpose to let him have to go out there on his own and fail because he can't host on his own. He's, he's a guy who needs a two. He needs someone there to bounce some of this off of. But overall, you know, you, I saw you retweeting about Joe Buck and you know NFL Network and what Ryan Clark did. I just wanted to touch base with you because I'm impressed when I follow your information, not only with baseball, but with the work you do with Forbes, that it was a tough night. A lot of people, I think, did a pretty good job considering the position they were in. It was hard to cover that story with a young man on the field fighting for his life and everybody wondering what was going to happen next. That's something that most broadcasters don't go through. And when they do, the experience really counts in the end. Yeah, I think that this is one of those times where ESPN, um, that was it really showed its value. There's been a lot of talk about how um, what is the value of sports networks when we can get live, you know, game day stuff and we can get highlights and everything via social media right then and there without having to wait for sports center. But Scott Van Pelt did a fantastic job. Everybody did. I thought a, a very good job. They handled it sensitive, you know, it was a very sensitive information and it didn't seem, it seemed genuine. And that's the thing about what, what Skip did. There was nothing, nothing genuine about what Skip said. There, everything, every single individual that was on air, um, came across again as genuinely concerned. And I, I, I don't know how to really describe this other than the fact that it's historical, what we saw for all the tragically wrong reasons. We saw somebody die on the field. He stands up and literally right then and there, you basically watched his heart stop and he falls mm. over. This wasn't passing out. We watched somebody literally die on television was able to be revived and then died again at the hospital and had to be revived again. And we have still, you know, don't know whether he's going to fully recover from this thing. So it was hugely consequential and historic. It was different than every other thing that has ever happened. And again, I think that ESPN and other networks, I thought CNN did a good job with Bob Costas and other people that were medical professionals talking about what happened. You've got some context that you cannot get straight off of social media. It was really at that point where I think the networks really shined and provided the context that people needed. They wanted to know what was going on with this individual, you know, that is going through a horrible thing. And, and I think that, again, they, they really came together on it. Thank you, Maury. Good to talk to you. We'll get into baseball next time. All the best and uh, look forward to talking to you again real soon. Appreciate you. All right, JT, you take care. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to Maury. I appreciate our conversation here. Give him a follow if you can. Bizball Maury at Forbes, and he's got a nice following for baseball. But that was a storyline that I didn't want to go away this week. I believe in forgiveness. I do believe in forgiveness. I don't believe in forgiveness for Skip Bayless. How's that sound for media? Forgive everybody you want. 
but he's been getting away with this garbage forever. And this week he was completely exposed. His bosses, the people behind the scenes, didn't have the balls to do anything because they're so desperate for people to watch that show that has a tiny audience to begin with compared to Stephen A. and ESPN that they can't afford to lose Skip. If they didn't have Skip, that whole morning and that whole day part would crater. That's why they overpay him, and that's why every time he does something stupid and has to give a little bit of apology, everybody moves on four or five days later. I wasn't going to let Skip move on four or five days later. JT, we continue with our coverage of the Kansas City Chiefs. And final thoughts on what it will take for the Raiders to come through and win this game. Not close. This is a NASCAR. You don't get points for coming in sixth. You don't get points for coming in second. You don't get a silver medal here. you got to beat Kansas City. Let's be there Saturday to watch it happen on the flagship of the Raiders, Raider Nation Radio. Picked up by Vegas, and it's sent into the zone. Eichel alone scores! Lockport for the puck in the neutral zone, and he snuck it through to Jack Eichel. The righty from the right circle comes back to the Vegas lineup with an exclamation mark. 2-0 Golden Knights, five minutes into the game. Golden Knights radio on the call. Thank you, Bobby, Dan Dubin, the whole team. Saw Shane Knighty last night, Kerry Bullbolts. Eric Tozzi, I'm doing name drop city because I had a great time. Frankie Sidoris, the guitar player from Wolfgang Van Halen and Slash, he was there sitting right in front of me. He does the pregame big guitar solo that opens up the broadcast. Mark Chinook, you see him at the Raider game, the voice of the Golden Knights. Chris Powell from the Motor Speedway was sitting in my section Everybody I saw last night, I had such a great time with my wife at the Golden Knights game. They scored right out of the gate, which was fantastic. And to see two Hall of Famers on the ice at the same time, Sidney Crosby, who got a late goal, nice goal right in front of the net. Again, Malkin, Malkin, who looks like he's 240 pounds of muscle. What a great hockey player he is. And a lot of Pittsburgh fans were there. Give it up. Penguins play here once a year. And Penguin fans were there out in full force, but the Golden Knights look great again. Welcome back as we wrap it up here, getting ready to roll. Beautiful Friday coming off a Golden Knights win. And again, I tell you all the time, I love this hockey team. I love to go. I can't go most of the time because I'm working at night. When I can go on a Thursday or Friday night or hopefully now after Raiders season's over, a Sunday or Saturday matinee. What a good time, man. They are unbelievable when it comes to game day presentation. So are the Raiders. But there's just something about that night's game, which was great. It was pride game. So for pride, everyone who was there celebrating the jerseys that they had in the warm-up was spectacular, and they ended up winning that game. So whenever I get an opportunity to tell you about the Golden Knights and what they do, and get a chance to see him play. I'm always excited about it. It's always fun. It's always electric. Everybody's having a good time. And when we came out of there last night, my buddy Spike, who brought me, yes, his name is Spike, and Deacon Jones's widow, Elizabeth Jones. Let me tell you this story quickly. Elizabeth Jones I met through Deacon when Deacon Jones was alive. Arguably one of the greatest defensive players to ever live. I mean, I think he's on the Mount Rushmore 
That's what Michael Strahan says. That's what Reggie White said when he was alive. That's what most people say. So I'm talking to Elizabeth Jones, who I've known for a long time. She's 80 years old, the widow of Deacon. And she's one of the guests that we're with last night. And she's telling me about stats. And we're talking about NFL stats. And Deacon one year, back-to-back years, had a combined 51 sacks, 100 solo tackles, like stats that you've never heard before. And they started keeping score with stats in 1982. I think they became official. And Deacon was the king of the sack. He came up with the head slap and all that. You know, Deacon Jones. And she reminded me again that they didn't have the records of Deacon Jones' stats back in the day. So this is pre-Mean Joan Green, pre-all the great players such as Reggie White. So a research gentleman went back and looked at all the game film from NFL films from Steve Sable. And they counted all of Deacon's sacks. And they're still missing five games that have never been on film. And Deacon, with all these sack records, came up with the 100-sack club, which Bruce Smith is extending now. It was just so beautiful to sit next to the widow of Deacon Jones to hear about Deacon's records and what it meant to be around the league when Deacon Jones was around. You know, I get really into that stuff. I'm into the Hall of Fame You know, we were talking about Eric Allen earlier in the show and the history of the Hall of Fame. And this past year with Cliff Branch and Freddie Bolitnikoff's going to turn 80 and the great Jim Otto just had his birthday. When we look back, and I know I'm rambling here at the great records of all time, please go on YouTube. Please spend a minute and go look at the history of Deacon Jones and what he was able to do and how great of a player he was. Just unbelievably dominant. I have a framed jersey that I got about 15 years ago from Deacon and his wife, Elizabeth, that's in our studio here at Lotus Broadcasting, and it's one of my most valuable pieces of memorabilia I have, and we have it up here in the building because I always want to think of Deacon, Jim Brown, Deacon Jones, all the players that I had the pleasure and was so fortunate to meet. So it was just nice to go to the game with her last night, an 80-year-old beautiful woman who loves the history of the NFL, best friends with Roger Goodell, best friends with the legendary fearsome foursome and her history. We're talking about Aaron Donald last night. While we were watching a hockey game with so many great people around me and so many people that I got a chance to see last night. Just a fun night out as we wrap it up here. And we're brought to you by Resorts World. Resorts World's got a lot going on as we speak. A lot going on this weekend, so head on out to Eight Cigar Lounge, Zook the Nightclub, Red Tail, the interactive sports bar, and where I host Monday Night Football. We got one more left coming up. We're going to do something over the playoffs where we're going to pick a game and we're going to do another viewing party over at Doghouse Saloon, which I'm pretty excited about that. Hey, last thing I wanted to wrap up this week with, with something positive. This entire week, as we said, was about DeMar Hamlin. From my conversation that you heard at the top of the hour with Josh McDaniels, All the interviews that we've had this week has been about one guy, DeMar Hamlin. And the updates are easing the pain of the Bills and the entire NFL. So every day we're looking for better and better news. We're not talking about what the Bills are going to have to do in the postseason, how they get there. But I wanted to wrap up the week as the Raiders are wrapping up the season by reminding everybody I picked the Bills to win the Super Bowl. I grew up in Long Island, New York. I went to college in upstate New York. I'm not a Bills fan. I was in attendance for Wide Right, their most famous loss against the Giants and Bill Parcells, Whitney Houston there singing the anthem. 
I'm pulling hard for them. And I think I'm pulling hard for them even more because of what they went through this week. What they went through this week and what DeMar Hamlin is going through still and what his mom is going through and everybody. Think of this week. I write a journal every week. Just put a couple notes in a binder and I save it. Been doing it for 20 years. And this week there were a couple of journals about DeMar Hamlin and what it meant to me. It meant a lot to you and all the callers who called in and all the kids who were affected, the high school kids, the football players, all the athletes who watched this this week and learned a lot about competition, brotherhood, and sports. So that's it. We wrap it up. Thanks to Bobby Machado for a great week. We'll see you tomorrow at the Torch, Saturday. Get ready for that. Eric Allen and I will be hosting the pregame show for the Raiders at 11.15 at the Torch. I'll be out at the tailgate in J-Lot with the Black Hole. And we'll say goodbye at the Modelo Cantina on the postgame show to this Raiders season. And there's going to be a lot of business going on in the offseason. And we'll cover it all right here on the flagship of the Silver and Black. Raider Nation Radio. Have a great weekend, everyone.